I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. I, um, uh, um, well, during the prayer meeting, the Lord uh, put something on my heart. I had a witness about uh, which way to go for the service this evening, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with it, to be honest with you. And, and uh, so let's just start here and see where we go. There's some things that, uh, that I think the Lord wants me to do that, uh, that's unusual. And um, for that reason, let's start in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews, I believe, is Paul writes by the Holy Ghost. Whoever it is, it's the Holy Ghost speaking to us. So really the authorship doesn't matter in this context. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. Uh, well, maybe we ought to back up in uh, verse 11. He said, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, he's saying stay steady. Stay steady. Persevere. And he said in verse 12 that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now turn with me a few pages over to James chapter 1. We talked a little bit about this, the first part of this, uh, um, this verse this morning. But I want to expand on it a little bit. James is writing to the church and he starts off in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptations means test trials and afflictions. He's saying in any hard place you need to count that joy. Now the reason you have to count it joy is because it isn't joy. He didn't say, now you know how much fun it is to be in trouble. You know how much fun it is to be attacked with sickness. You know how much fun it is when, when there's not enough money to pay the bills. You know what a, what a wonderful high heel time that is, so just enjoy yourselves. He didn't say that. He said, count it, Joy, when you fall into those situations. Now, the reason he said to do that is because of what we're supposed to know. Verse 3 is knowing this. In other words, you're not going to be able to count it, Joy, unless you know this. But if you know this, you should be able, able is maybe a wrong word, to, if you know this, you should therefore understand and be willing to count it all joy. Knowing this. Here's what you need to know to count it joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, we just read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 that we're encouraged by the Holy Ghost to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now he's saying that the trying of your faith works patience. In other words, patience is developed in the middle of hard places. Patience is developed when you're being attacked. You don't develop patience by sitting under a tree when everything's going great. You don't develop patience at the beach. And it is one of the things, one of the fruits of the fruit of the Spirit, one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul said uh, by the Holy Ghost, he said, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That word long-suffering is this word patience. So it is a part of spiritual development. Patience is a part of spiritual development. Now, folks, what he's saying very simply is this. You can't develop spiritually if everything works overnight. I know that's not any better news for me than it is for you. Because we all wanted it to work overnight if it takes that long. I mean, overnight is as long as we want to give it. We'd like instant results, wouldn't we? Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying you're not going to develop spiritually if everything works overnight. Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, let me, before we go further into James, let me paraphrase Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 6, 12. Let me paraphrase that for you. Now, you check this out for yourself. You examine this. You see if this is not what the Bible is really telling us. Faith that doesn't give up always receives. Isn't that what that means? It says, be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith that doesn't give up, faith that won't give up, always receives. Well, if it's that simple, why didn't he say it that way? Because the don't give up is the tough part. And the don't give up is the part that's only developed when you and I are in trouble. When we find ourselves in these diverse temptations, these tests, trials, and afflictions, these hard places in life, when you're attacked with sickness, that's when you develop patience. That's where the don't give up is developed. Anybody can believe God. 
Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus said in, uh, when he gave us the definition and the, the operation of, of uh, faith in Mark chapter 11, I believe they're the most concise scriptures on the operation of faith that there is. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, he said in verse 23, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe for a little while. Wouldn't it be nice if he had said that? And shall believe for a little while that he shall have whatsoever he saith, he shall have that what he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Wouldn't it be nice if he said, if you believe for a minute, you'll have whatever you say. I'd be okay if he said believe for an hour. Shoot, I'd have gone for a belief for a week. But he didn't, did he? He said, believe and not doubt in your heart. How long? There is no timeline on the post. But the Bible is telling us with certainty that faith that won't give up always receives. Back to James chapter 1. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He's talking about the same test, trials, and afflictions that we experience daily, that you experience, I experience. Everybody does. They're common to everybody. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. If you're going to develop spiritually, you're going to have to have hard places. Now, at that point, some people, their mind will start going off into tangents. They'll say, well, does that mean God brings the hard places? Sometimes, yeah. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. That turned out to be a hard place. Not because God caused it to be a hard place, but because of the commitment that Jesus made to fast for 40 days. So you tell me, did God cause that? Well, he led him out there. God didn't create the temptation of the devil. But he led him out there for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose had to do with the development of Jesus' character. It had to do with his preparation for ministry. Now, does that mean God brings sickness? Never. Does it mean God brings poverty or lack? Never. Why? Because those things kill, steal, and destroy. And that comes into the devil's territory. But there are places that God will lead you. Places of commitment that God will lead you that it's tough. There are some commitments I've made to God that have been tough to keep. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, folks, if you realize that, if you know that the trying of your faith is dependent on difficulties, then that's why you can count it joy when you fall into the difficulties or find yourself in the middle of the trouble. Because you can know, thank God I'm developing spiritually. Not that this is fun, not that God wants me to suffer, not that blah, 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 blah. But that this is important to my spiritual development. Hard places can only be developed. I'm sorry. Patience can only be developed in hard places. In the same way that muscles can only be developed in the weight room. I love these commercials where they say, just do these isometric things. Just start pumping your arms like this. And they show these guys that have been lifting weights for 50 years. And we're supposed to think that just pumping your arms with no weight is going to make muscles like that. Give me a break. There's only one way to develop muscles, and that's eat right and exercise. It's the only way that it happens. And sometimes you have to eat stuff you don't want to eat. And sometimes you have to lift things that you think is too much to lift. But if you do it, it develops muscles. Spiritual muscles are developed the same way. Eating right. And the right kind of exercise. And exercise is the tribulation or the hard places, the adversity that he's talking about in James chapter 1. Adversity is your weight room. It's your exercise opportunity. And when you look at it like that, then it's an opportunity to count it joy. Any of you ever started a new exercise program? Boy, isn't that first time in the gym exciting? Then the second time comes around. First time you're all excited, may have a trainer, may have all kinds of things planned or whatever. New place, new gym, new, new activity, whatever. So you're, you're excited. You're pumped up about that. But then the next time comes around and that alarm clock goes off at six in the morning. And you think, oh, I don't know if I want to do this or not. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse for about six weeks. Then after the six week period, 
you've developed a habit. If you stayed with it, stuck with it, you've developed a habit. Now that habit comes around to lift you up and encourage you and give you some incentive. Now you don't dread going in there because it provides a benefit for you. You recognize that it provides a benefit. That's what counting it all joy is. It's sticking with it until you come to the understanding, the experience that this is good for me. It's not fun, but it's developing me spiritually. That's what he means by knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Another translation says it this way. Let patience have a perfect work that victory may be fully restored. I love that. Because that's exactly what it means. It means not only will faith and patience bring you to the place of spiritual development, but you'll receive the object of your faith. If it's healing that you're looking for, he's saying you'll not only develop spiritually, you'll not only grow spiritually in the development of your patience, but you'll also receive the healing that you extended your faith toward. That's what he's saying. He's saying faith that won't give up always receives. Faith that won't give up always receives. Now, how long does it, Pastor Mike, how long do we have to not give up? Forever. Because even after you receive the healing for whatever the thing, the attack is today, you're still going to believe for healing after that, aren't you? Aren't you going to believe for healing as a lifestyle? Aren't you going to believe God for the things that the Bible says belongs to you even after you get over the flu or a cold or whatever you're being attacked with, cancer, whatever it is, little or small, little or big, it doesn't matter? Aren't you going to believe God for something and for whatever the Bible says belongs to you after that? Well, then faith should never give up. It should never give up. Turn with the Hebrews, turn back a page or two to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice what Paul said in verse 35 and 36. We're pulling this out of context. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights when we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, then uh, you'll recognize this, but it still fits. It says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. The confidence he's talking about is the faith that they began with. Now, in their case, they've turned loose of some things. And he's reminding them, you remember what it was like in the early days? Go back to that. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. What's he saying? He's saying faith that won't give up always receives. There's a reward for faith that won't give up. Why does the devil spend so much time trying to discourage you to make you give up? Why does he try to make you look at how you feel to make you give up? Why does he put you in situations where, where doctors or, or well-meaning, well-intentioned friends, whoever it is, tells you things that, that uh, well, they'll tell you they knew somebody that had what you've got and they died? Why is it that we only hear that after the doctor diagnoses something? To make you give up. Folks, faith is the rope that we hold on to, that the other end is attached to God and the blessings of God. And everything about that, we're pulling. We're pulling from the unseen realm to the seen realm. And everything about the devil's work is to make you let go of that rope. When I was in uh, high school, we had, uh, uh, we had a gymnasium that was kind of like this, didn't have as high a ceiling as this, and it had a drop ceiling way up, I don't know, 20, 22 feet, something like that. And there was a there was a um, a rope that was attached to the to the girders the trusses, and a part of the the exercise program that we had and I couldn't get away with this nowadays because if somebody fell and hurt themselves, dear Lord, who knows what would happen? But you know, back when they didn't care, care when kids killed themselves, <laughs> which nobody ever did, by the way. I mean, whatever. Anyway, there was this rope that was attached, and and it was one of those things that you had to climb the rope. Now. Th- there was all kinds of competitions with this thing. You had to do it as part of the, part of the physical education uh, class and different things that you were involved in. And so there's all kinds of competitions from the kids. First thing is who can climb the rope. The next thing is who can climb it with only their, hand, their arms and not their, not their feet to bring, pull them up. And, and then finally it became something, and we didn't do this with the coaches around, but it became something that while people were climbing, other kids were throwing volleyballs at them trying to knock them down. We had fun. You know, what can I say? That's the way the devil is. 
You're holding the rope, climbing for everything you've got, and everything he's doing is designed to knock you off that rope. That's why you need patience. Because you can't stay down at the bottom and hold on to the rope and say, it's mine, I have it now. You can't keep your feet on the ground holding on to the rope and say, okay, this is it. We've done it. No, that's not the way it works. You're going to have to climb the rope. Faith climbs the rope. And the devil's trying to knock you off every time you try to pull up another inch. So he says, cast not away your confidence. Don't let go of the rope. The other end of that rope, we couldn't see what was on the other end of the rope. All we could see is the attachment, or we couldn't see where it was attached. All we could see was it going through the ceiling. But it was attached somewhere. And you get halfway up and somebody had hollered down from the bottom saying, I wonder if it's going to hold. Well, we couldn't see. You're looking through the, the, you're looking through the little hole that the rope is going through and the, the, the drop ceiling. The devil tries to tell you there's nothing on the other end. He tries to tell you just one more pull and then you're going to fall flat on your face. Why? It's all designed to make you give up or back up, ease yourself back down to the ground. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Faith that doesn't give up always receives. Now notice verse 36. For you have need of patience. Patience is the only thing that's going to cause you to not give up. Patience is defined as expectancy in the Bible. That's what the word means. It it means a constancy, an expectancy, a constant expectancy, literally. It means a condition of a character trait whereby you expect something so you won't quit. Why do people quit? Because they stop expecting. They may start off expecting, but they give up on their expector. They turn their expector off. Or they let the devil turn it off for them. Because if you really truly expect that the healing that you're believing God for, the healing that you've extended your faith toward, if you really truly believe that faith, that healing is on the other end of this rope called faith, you won't turn loose. Now, how long is it going to take to climb? We had kids that would get stuck on that rope. They'd get halfway up and they'd get stuck. They'd look around. They were up high, you know, 20 feet off the ground, whatever it was, and they'd get scared. They wouldn't go forward and they wouldn't go backwards. So the coaches would have us start getting these great big giant mats, start piling them up down at the bottom in case this kid falls. Because sooner or later, if he just hangs there, if he doesn't keep moving forward, sooner or later he's going to wear out. And chances are he's going to lose his grip, and there he comes. So they tried to make a place, nice soft place for him to land. I think that's the way that too many Christians are doing. They're trying to make sure everybody has a place to land. And that place to land, those, those pads that the church uses, thinking they're doing people a favor, is sympathy. Oh, honey, I know. Uh, it's hard. There, there's, there's no way to explain why you were attacked with cancer. I know. I know good people just like you that have had it and they loved God with all their heart and and for whatever reason, whatever God's purpose was, they just died. John Lake talked about that. John Lake talked about uh, sickness attacking him one time. He said that that sickness came against him and and this was a guy that had used authority over sickness in, in some phenomenal ways but he said sickness came against him and he said that that it, he was looking for encouragement he said it took him it caught him at a weak moment he was physically weak at, from ministry endeavors and stuff he said this sickness came on him and boy it had him i mean it had a grip on him like crazy and he said that the first person that came across his path started giving him this sympathy thing he said i knew if i didn't get away from this sympathy this well-intentioned Christian sympathy, this thing would take my life. I thought it was a good thing that guy had enough wisdom to know how it works. So he did. He got away from it. Got somebody that could agree with him in prayer, help him up, you know, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Prop him up a little bit while he was weak, help build him and encourage him in faith, and there he was. He got over it, and it wound up being a very short period of time. But folks, sympathy will kill people.
Now, people are given to sympathy. They think I'm the hardest guy around. They think I just don't have any Christian love whatsoever. Because they think that's the expression of love. They think that showing sympathy is the only way that you can show love. Folks, Jesus didn't pat anybody. Show me somebody that he patted on the back and said, I know, honey, it's just hard. He didn't do it. And people that came that weren't expecting, people that came that weren't looking to operate in faith, Jesus said, okay, have it your way, and left them. But I think that's what a lot of people do. Just like the coaches would pile up all these mats. It got to where he'd pile them so deep that if somebody fell, they couldn't hurt themselves. But boy, the shame of having come off that rope. I felt that way in faith sometimes. There's only one thing that I ever really gave up on in faith, and it still embarrasses me to this day. I wouldn't tell you what it was for anything in the world. But it was something I just gave up on. And I know just as much as I know my name that I gave up on something that was mine, something I could have had, something that I had a hold of, and I just quit. And I hope you understand what I mean when I say this, but I hate myself for that. I learned a lesson. I'll never give up on anything else for the rest of my life. So, he said, cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. Patience must be an important element of faith. Patience must be an important element of confidence, which is the act of believing. You can only believe in something you have confidence to receive. And the word's the only thing that can give you that confidence. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Because only the word can produce confidence in you to receive. Because only the word tells you what belongs to you. Only the word can show you what's on the other side of the barrier, this natural realm, into what belongs to God that he's provided through Jesus. The word's the only thing that can provide that. It's like an x-ray camera that shows you what's yours on the other side. And it's by extending our faith, holding on to that rope that reaches into the other side that brings it to us in this realm. So he says, you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God. Folks, what does that mean? After you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. What is the will of God that he's talking about? Having confidence, believing, extending your faith. That's what he's saying. Now, let me show you another scripture. Turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's patience talked about in another context. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. I love this verse of Scripture. This is something the Lord really spoke to me about with some things regarding the church. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now you'd think somebody that operated as an apostle a ministry gift or a ministry office like Paul did, uh, in the ministry office of an apostle like Paul did, you'd think he'd just go to town and start doing miracles. Which is the way people think Jesus operated, and he didn't. Paul said that the characteristics of the apostle's office did not start with signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. He said the apostle's office was first characterized by the patience that he extended to stay in a place long enough to do those great works. So an apostle's ministry is not a gift ministry then, is it? Gift ministry is just work. An evangelist is a gift ministry. Philip was an evangelist. Acts chapter 6 says he went down to Samaria. What did he do? He preached Jesus and started doing miracles. People believed because of the preaching of, of Philip and when they saw the miracles that he did. Why? Because an evangelist is a gift ministry. And folks, evangelists... The evangelist's office is not just somebody that preaches Jesus resurrected from the dead. A lot of people that we call evangelists are exhorters because an evangelist has signs following. An evangelist has miracles. Now, I'm not going to get in an argument with anybody about, well, is the, uh, is the evangelist, it's the guy that's doing the work uh, commonly known as an evangelist in uh, in the 
the American church is, is he not really an evangelist because he doesn't have signs and wonders and miracles? Or is he an evangelist that just doesn't access what belongs to it? I don't know. It's none of my business. But an evangelist is a gift ministry. A teacher's not. Pastor's not. A prophet's not. Now, a prophet's going to have signs and wonders. A teacher can have signs and wonders. God confirms his word with signs following. But Paul said the apostles' ministry was characterized, first of all, by patience in doing the signs and wonders and mighty deeds. That means he didn't just blow into town and start doing miracles, did he? But isn't that the way we want it to work? It's so funny. You'll have people, bless their hearts, and, and, and I hope I'm not talking about you because I don't mean it to be criticism. But it's always a sign of somebody's spiritual immaturity. Where people will say, well, if we're going to heal like Jesus did, we ought to have instant healings. Really? Is that how it works? Does it always work instantly? Didn't with Jesus. Yeah, but most of Jesus were instant. How do you know that? You know from John that, that only a small portion of what Jesus did is recorded. How do you know that all of them were instant? How do we know? Do we have any Bible evidence to show us that they are? We don't. John said if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, maybe he just gave us the big ones. Maybe the Holy Ghost just picked a few out to show us the end result so that it would encourage us, not to show us that the pattern is always overnight or instant results. Because if the pattern were overnight or instant results, why would the Holy Ghost tell us we need patience after we've extended our faith? The reason we say things like that and the reason we we think, and I used to, I'm not throwing off on anybody, I used to think that too. Then I grew up a little bit spiritually. But the reason we think like that is because we get caught up on the natural things. We get caught up on the circumstances. We get caught up on what we see instead of the supernatural aspect of the word. Well, I want to see results. What does that mean? That's literally saying, bless God, I want it now, I don't want to have patience. Okay, the problem with that is the Bible says you need it. So we're always looking for an instant fix, aren't we? We're always looking for instant results. But that's not the way the Bible says it works. Thank God we do have some instant results. And those can be a real encouragement to us. But if you look at them as a pattern, they can be a a death knell for faith. F.F. Bosworth, who may have had more healings in his ministry here on the earth than anybody that we have record of in the history of the church, made this statement. He said, sometimes our instant healings are a curse to us. He's the author of the book, Christ the Healer. And if anybody would know about healing, that was his ministry. And he said, sometimes our instant healings are a curse to us. Brother Hagin said, in his experience, his ministry experience in healing and uh, for over... Well, what, almost 60 years in the healing ministry. Well, no, it was longer than that. What would it have been? Yeah, 60, 64 years, I guess. He said that people that received their healing instantly were the most likely to lose that healing. But if somebody received it on their own faith by developing patience, he said those are people that would get it and keep it forever. He said the people that were healed instantly in his ministry were always the ones he'd have to come back later and teach them how to receive it and, and hold on to it. And in many cases, they'd lose it completely and he'd have to minister to them all over again. You have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Faith that won't quit, faith that won't give up, always receives. Faith that won't give up, always receives. Faith that won't give up, always receives. And here's the part I had trouble with. I really feel like, uh, well, feel is not the word I want to use. I had an inward impression that the Lord wanted me to talk to you about my situation. And I don't want to talk about my situation. But, okay. Now, here's the reason why I don't. It's not that I don't want you to know. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But what I'm going to do, I would not recommend for you to do under any circumstances. Don't ever talk to anybody about what you're believing for while you're believing for it. 
because it opens the door for the devil to, to, to beat you up and raise questions and, and just create all kinds of problems for you. Now, I'm not worried about that. I don't care what you ask about. Uh, it, I know what I believe. I'm not concerned about that. But I want to make sure that you understand that I would never recommend you. And if you, if you ask me, should you, I would always say, no, don't do this. Always receive your healing and then tell the testimony afterwards. And tell the testimony after you've had it for a while and you make sure that you're solid in keeping it and receiving it, in receiving it and keeping it, holding on to it, so that the devil can't talk you out of it. Too many people get the wrong people involved in what they're believing for or what happened. It doesn't matter. God doesn't do things for you so you can have a testimony. I always, it, um, it disturbs me. When people will write or talk to me and say, I'm believing for my healing because God's got a healing ministry for me. God doesn't need you to be in the healing ministry. Jesus didn't go to the cross so you'd have a healing ministry. Jesus healed you because it was one of the byproducts of sin and death. He's not looking for you to get well so you can tell people about it. He's looking for you to receive what Jesus paid for. Period. In that sense, healing, receiving healing, should be a direct result of self-interest. Now, I didn't say selfishness. There's a difference between being selfish and having a self-interest. Let me show you the difference. I want to have as much money as I can because I have a self-interest to take care of my family and to give to the kingdom of God. But I'm not looking for anything selfishly for myself. If it was selfish, I wouldn't want to be using it for somebody else, either my family or the kingdom of God. By the same token, I don't want to be healed so I can tell people I got healed. Because God doesn't need my testimony to prove himself. I want to be healed because God provided it for me through Jesus. Period. And anything that I don't receive that Jesus paid for is an insult to the price Jesus paid. So I have a self-interest to receive anything and everything Jesus paid for. Now, if you want to call that selfish, that's, that's between you and God. I don't care. But I'm not looking to get healed or to walk in health so that I've got a testimony for other people. The word's true whether I ever testify or not. And I really wish people would get off this, I want God to heal me so I can have a testimony. God doesn't need your testimony. He's already given his word and heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will never fail. The word's a pretty good testimony. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. The word is true. So for that reason, I discourage people from telling things that God did until after the fact, well after the fact. But I really haven't any way that God wants me to tell you about me. Some of you have, are aware, I try to hide it just because it's aggravating. But my hand started shaking last uh, April. My right leg does too. It just came out of nowhere. Now I've had all kinds of diagnosis. I've had all kinds of people telling me what it is. And, all, and nobody agrees, which tells me they don't know. Well, I know what the Bible says about healing. Now, it's not organic. Now, I don't know if this, Doc, forgive me if I'm using the wrong terms. But I, the, the word that I use to describe this is it's not organic. I can lay down at night and I don't shake at night. There are things that I do that, that cause it to increase. If I see an action movie and there's a lot of action and stuff like that on the screen, then it, does, it, it happens more. And as a result, the devil tells me, you ought not watch this. You ought not do this. And I refuse not to do stuff just because he's trying to make it hard for me. I just refuse. So I watch as much action stuff as I can. I've been in movie theaters and my hand and leg, my hand and my leg are just bouncing. I couldn't care less. I'm just enjoying the movie. I'll do some things just to kind of tick the devil off. So it's not organic. I don't know what it is. It, it happens a lot while I'm preaching because just like an action movie or, or even reading an adventure book or something like that, things that, that elevate my heart rate a little bit, get me excited in any way or any, in any form, that causes it to increase. Well, I love preaching the Word. 
It's the only time I like to talk. You think I'm kidding? Ask people that know me. That's what's so funny. People will hear me on, on TV or they'll hear a tape or something like that, and they'll come to church and they think they know me. And they want to go to lunch. Folks, I'm the last person you want to go to lunch with. Going to lunch with me is like you sitting by yourself. I'm not a good lunch companion. And people think they know me because they hear me preach. You don't know anything about me. You hear what I tell you. You hear what the Holy Ghost directs me to share with you. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm like. But when I preach, it excites me. It, it, it interests me. It's something that I'm given to do. And so it happens more when I preach than when I'm sitting at home reading, reading or doing something, you know, calm. And I try to hide it because I know I can see people looking, so I stick my hand in my pocket or I'll hide behind the, the podium, put my hand, do all kinds of things, and it aggravates the stew out of me. It's a nuisance. It's just aggravating. And it's an insult. I count it as an insult because Jesus paid for me to walk in divine health. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that my hand and my leg would shake. So what do you do? Well, I know what it is. I know doctors don't, but I know what it is. I found out what it was the first time that it happened. I asked, I just said, I say I asked the Lord. It really wasn't asking him. I just said kind of to myself out loud when I noticed it happened, I said, dear Lord, what in the world is this? And got an answer instantly. I instantly knew what it was. None of, the, none of the doctors I've been to have confirmed it. None of them have said, you know, well, here's what it is or anything else. But I know exactly what it is. Now, I don't know exactly what the answer for it is. Other than generally, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. I know that to be true. But I've got a witness in my heart that there's a verse of Scripture that applies to me in my situation. And that's Exodus chapter 23, verse 25. Here's what it says. If you want to look at it again. May not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. It says, and you shall serve the Lord, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Now, folks, there's a lot of places you could go with that, because just like we looked at this morning, if you were with us in John chapter 4 and verse 24, Jesus talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means there's only one way to worship God. Now, that's what the word serve means. It's the Hebrew word abad, A-B-A-D, and it means to worship. So we're in Exodus 23, verse 25. God is saying to his servants, if it belongs to his servants, it has to belong to his children, meaning you and me. You shall worship the Lord, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Notice he's talking about worshiping Jesus, but God's saying, I'll take it away from you. He doesn't say, and you shall worship Jesus or the Lord, and the Lord will do this. God said, I'll take it away from the midst of you. You'll serve the Lord, worship the Lord, but I'll take it away from the midst of you. Well, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That means the only way you can really worship God, no matter what anybody else is trying to do or what their programs are, the only way that Jesus said you worship God is by the spirit or, by, or from your spirit through the word of God. Or with the word of God. So that means you can only worship the God with the word from your spirit. That means apart from your mind and apart from your emotions and apart from your flesh. That's the only way there is. Now there's not a lot of the church world is worshiping God. They call stuff worship services. They call them worship experiences. They call worship, 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 worship. But unless it's from your heart with the word, Jesus said it's not the real thing. It's just man's attempt when Jesus said there was another way. It's always interested me how people will put the word worship on everything. Worship minister, worship pastor, worship this, worship, worship songs. A lot of the worst things that are called worship songs don't have anything to do with spirit or the word. So they're not, no matter what label you put on them. Like Brother Hagin said, you can put any kind of label you want to on an empty can and it won't fill the can. So it really doesn't matter what we call anything. What Jesus said was the only way there is to worship God. Well, that's what, that's what Exodus 23:25 speaks to me. I've had a witness from the beginning on this. Not when I asked what it was, the Lord told me specifically what this was. But from that point, it's just been, I've just been going by the inward witness. And the witness I've got 
on this for me is Exodus 23, verse 25. And you shall serve or worship the Lord, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Well, folks, that's a guarantee, isn't it? I mean, where can you find where God said, I will do something that he didn't do it? Where can you find anything where God said, I will, and he won't? Or doesn't? If this verse of Scripture, the only thing that keeps this from being mine is if this doesn't pertain to me. Now, I know that a lot of people have problems with it. He's talking to the Jews and so on and so forth. Well, okay, but they were representative of his people under the old covenant, weren't they? And the Bible says that the children of Israel were God's servants. Would God want less for his servants or less for his sons than he wanted for his servants? And besides that, doesn't the Bible say the blessing of Abraham is ours? Exodus 23, 25 is the result of what came upon the blessing that came upon the Jews because of the covenant promise that he made with Abraham hundreds of years before. So Exodus 23, 25 is part of the blessing of Abraham. Isn't it? If it's not, where else did the blessing come from? He delivered Israel from Egypt because of the promise he made to Abraham. This is right after they come out of the bondage of Egypt. So it's got to be part of the blessing of Abraham. It's what belongs to the seed of Abraham or the natural descendants of Abraham because of the original promise God made. The Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that, verse 14, that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. So it's got to be mine. It's got to belong to me. It's got to belong to you too. Has to. Absolutely has to. So I've got a guarantee. Now, folks, I serve God. I put the Word of God first place in my life. I've been living by the Word for 30 years. More. 35 now. I've been serving the Lord, developing in spirit, worshiping God according to what His Word says and not according to how I feel for 35 years. So I fulfill the first part of that verse. You shall serve the Lord. I'm worshiping in spirit and in truth according to the Word. So I've got a promise. It says, and he, the Lord, shall bless my bread and my water. And I, God, will take sickness away from the midst of you. i got a promise. The only thing that can keep this from being mine is giving up. That's it. Now, folks, I sure wish it had already happened. I wish it had happened the first week. Now, what I don't have a guarantee on is when. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do the same thing you do. I face the same choice, the same situation as you do. You can either say it's not working because it hasn't happened yet, or you can say, well, it hasn't happened yet, but the Bible says so. So I'm going to hang on. Since I do worship the Lord in spirit and truth, from my heart, not according to my feelings, not according to the things that I see, but according to what His Word says, which, by the way, that's what it means. Since I do base my life on the Word and believe God's Word in spite of my feelings, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the stupid shake in my hand and my leg, then I refuse to give up. Now, here's the, here's the issue with that. You may be in the same place as me. But you can get passive while you're not giving up. Let me explain what I mean by that. I can say, okay, Exodus 23, 25 is mine. So God's going to take this from the midst of me. It is in the midst of me. No question about that. It's inside somewhere. And whatever it is, whether the shake is the result of something in and of itself or whether there's a cause to the shake, I really don't care. Same promise as mine. God said he'll take it away. Doesn't matter to me. The devil tried to scare me with Parkinson's. Had one doctor say, well, it could be the onset of Parkinson's. Well, that's not what it is. And I appreciate his expertise or his suggestion or I don't know. Could be any number of things. I don't know. He didn't tell me anything else it could be. He just decided to go with the P word. Which he was quick to tell me there is no cure for. Thank you so very much. We appreciate your encouragement. And folks, that's the way the doctors work. 
That may be the way they're trained. I don't know, Larry. Maybe it's not that way with everybody. But that seems to be a lot of the way that people are trained. Maybe their ideas prepare you for the worst, so if it's not that bad, then you'll be happy. I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? But whatever it is, I've got a promise from God. What I've got to be careful about is not to sit back and say, well, okay, the timetable is God's. Whatever will be, will be. And be in the same shape five years from now. My job is exactly the scriptures that we looked at over in James chapter 1. My job is to let patience have her perfect work while I'm counting it joy. See, that's what I see a lot of people do. They turn faith. What starts off with faith, they turn it into mental assent. I can mentally assent that Exodus 23, 25 is mine. I can mentally assent that I've got a guarantee that this is going to happen and it never happened. Because if I don't get it from my mind into action, faith always acts, folks. Faith that doesn't give up means faith is always acting. Faith that won't give up is faith that is active. In my case, faith that won't give up is faith that's always counting it joy. I've got as much a responsibility, even though I've got a guarantee from Exodus 23, 25. I've got as much a responsibility on my part as God does on his part. His part is to take sickness away from the midst of me. What's my part? Count it, Joe. My part is to praise God for the answer. Because if I really believe something's on the other end of that rope, I'm going to thank God before I ever see it. And that's what counting it all joy is about. It's believing. It's having a constant expectancy that God will do what the Word says He will do. So therefore, I refuse to give up on the rope, and I'm going to thank God all the time I'm pulling. That's how faith and patience inherits the promises. Now, I'm not going to get caught up in how's it going to work. I don't care. I don't care if it quits one day. I don't care if it starts tapering off. I don't care. I just care that it's gone. I just care that I receive what the Bible says is mine. Now, I'm not really worried about God fulfilling his end of things. I don't think that's a real real issue. Do you? It's no more an issue for him to fulfill his promise to me, the witness that I have about Exodus 23, 25, as it is him fulfilling his promise to you. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you're healed. Now, folks, I don't know how it works. I don't know if praising God lessens the time. I don't know how it works. The Bible really doesn't tell us. What the Bible does tell us is to live every day like it's yours now. That's my responsibility to praise God for the answer today. What are you going to do tomorrow? Treat it like it's today. What if it, happened by ne- what if it hasn't happened by next month? I'm going to treat next month like it's today. I'm going to count it joy next month just like I'm counting it joy today. That's my responsibility to keep my faith active. That's what Abraham did. Abraham spent some number of years believing God actively and then he let his faith go passive. He knew the promise was made. He knew intellectually, he knew, well, okay, uh, God promised it, but, you know... Getting kind of old, maybe we ought to have the child through Hagar. Then when God finally appears to him at age 99, he says, remember that promise I made? Then Abraham's given up on it altogether. He's turned loose. So what does God have to do? God has to get him back on the rope. God can't do this on his own. Faith is required to receive from God. A lot of people think God's sovereign and his sovereignty. He just does whatever he wants to. You can't find that happening, folks. The will of man is sacrosanct. It's sacred to God. That's why he's got to get your will in cooperation with his word, his promise. So he had to get Abraham back in faith. He had to get Abraham to handle, take hold of the rope again. Because Abraham has not only not climbed for years, he's turned loose the rope. He knows the rope's there. But he's not doing anything with it. So he has to talk Abraham into holding on to the rope again. And he does it by asking him some simple questions. He said, is anything too hard for me? 
I've always taken that as a real question. Because it, from the way people live, the way some people live, they've determined some things are too hard for God. They've determined that their healing is too hard for God. They've determined that deliverance from whatever their situation is must be too hard for God because they're not trusting. God asked Abraham, is anything too hard for me? I love that question. I'll just ask myself that sometimes. There's sometimes I'll look at myself in the mirror and watch my hand shake and I'll say, is anything too hard for the Lord? And folks, there are some things that I can do. There are some things that I can speak to my hand and it'll calm right down. Never tried it in front of people because, like I said, elevated heart rate. I'm excited to preach the word. I don't know if I could focus on it this much. But I got a promise from God. All I got to do is not give up and keep my faith active. And I got a guarantee. Now, I know some people are concerned about me, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate your concern. But don't be concerned about me. Don't be concerned about me. I wouldn't care if 54 doctors lined up and said, you've got Parkinson's and it'll never be cured. Yeah, right. Watch this. I got a guarantee from God. He said he'll take sickness away from the midst of me. Folks, there is no margin for error there. As long as I keep my faith active by counting it all joy. The Holy Ghost told us how to do it. Count it all joy. Be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How did the people operate in faith and patience to inherit the promise? They gave God glory. Abraham gave God glory before he saw the answer. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. God couldn't make this complicated because he knew he had to work with me and you. I know I'm not the sharpest guy around. And, and I know that, well, I know that most of the people I work with aren't any sharper than I am. So God had to make this simple, and he did. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works with patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect in entire wanting nothing, that victory may be fully restored in Jesus' name. Faith that won't let go. Faith that won't turn, faith that won't give up, always receives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. It is such a privilege, Father, to walk by faith, to experience hardship and to see your word work. What a wonderful thing that is, Lord. Thank you for sharing that opportunity with us. Father, some of us are in hard places. We're facing tests, trials, and afflictions. So we count it joy. Thank you, Father, for your healing power, your healing mercy. It's so good to be healed. Oh, Father, it's so good to be healed. It's so good that my hand doesn't shake anymore by faith. It's so good that we're delivered from sickness and disease. It's so good that our muscles and joints and ligaments function in the way that they were created to function. It's so good, Father, that we're free from tumors and cancerous cells in our body. It's so good to be free and healed in Jesus' precious name. It's so good to be healed, Lord. It's so good to be healed. By faith, according to your word, healing is ours now. And it's so good to be healed, Lord. Thank you for your healing mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here on Super Bowl Sunday.